0: Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. After leading the USSR to gold medal victories over the United States in 1988, uh, Serenus, Marcellonis, and Arvinas Sabonis were the poster boys for the oppressor Soviet sports machine. Four years later, after the fall of the Soviet Union, they emerged as symbols of democracy, helping their country break free from the shackles of communism and a willingly independent Lithuania at the medal stand at the Barcelona Olympics. We're joined today by the director of this terrific new documentary on their story, on the story of Lithuania, the story of the Olympic team in 1992, um, and just a beautiful documentary. Boris Markavichis, welcome to film school. Um, the uh, Tell me a little bit uh, about the, the genesis of this story um, and what the uh, impetus was for you to, to make a documentary about this dream team.
1: Yeah, well, I had this um, idea all the way back from uh, my childhood, pretty much, because in, uh, in 1988, uh, the Soviet Union beat... United States and won the gold medal, medal at the Seoul Olympics mm-hmm. um, and the starting five four of those guys in that team were, were Lithuanians um, not you know not Russians and, and they were Lithuanians who clearly would have rather been playing for their own country but because of their circumstance being basically subjugated by the Soviet Union for the past 50 years they were forced to play for the USSR and I remember the 12 year old kid in LA I was I was I'm 100 percent Lithuanian background I was the first generation born in the United States and um I was a big basketball fan. I loved the Lakers and Magic Johnson but I always followed these guys from afar and you know, there wasn't much information but I, I had followed as much as I could and particularly when the Olympics were on and I was a twelve year old kid in, in nineteen eighty eight when they won that gold medal and I remember like going to school and telling my buddies, you know, look this is awesome, these four Lithuanian guys won the gold but, you know, it was a picture of these four guys with beards and mustaches and, and red CCCP jerseys, and it just looked mean, and the the, the, caption said, you know, Soviets defeat the United States to win the gold. And, you know, it just, no one understood it. Everyone here was angry, and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, my friends didn't really understand. Um, Everyone pretty much just thought, you know, someone from the Soviet Union was the same. They were a communist. They were our enemy. They were from the evil empire. You know, they didn't realize that it was made up of all these different cultures and countries who really wanted no part of that system. Um, and so I think somehow the seeds were planted in my head even back then that something was wrong and that you know that the, the troops kind of should be told. Um, and then the events that happened from 1988 to 92 to the Barcelona Olympics when Lithuania got their independence in 91 and then finally was able to send their own Team is a free country, and, and with the support of the Grateful Dead, which was a very it was kind of a very unique <laughs> yes. partnership. That whole part, you know, you couldn't really script it. I think if you tried, so it just it felt like such a great story to tell. And, and I've, you know, pretty much ever since then, I, I thought it'd be great material for a for a film.
0: Well, tell me tell me a little bit about how you went a, went into getting this some of this terrific archival uh, footage. Obviously, some of this was newsreel stuff uh, that was. Uh, contemporaneous with the uh, with the events of the day, uh, going back to the collapse of the Soviet Union, um, and then moving forward through the sort of political side of the story. Uh, and by the way, I thought you did a terrific job of setting this up, just as you described the Soviets in our, in from the American perspective. And you have clips of of uh, Rocky and uh, Dolph Lundgren, and sort of the, our perception of the Soviets is sort of this sports machine, these basically almost inhuman athletes, because of their, their, their this indoctrinated sort of training program, and it, it's a terrific setup because these are the perceptions that we have. But how did you go about getting the footage of the Lithuanian uh, team um, in that during that day?
1: Yeah, well, there was it was quite an extensive research done to find the archival footage. We spent a lot of time in, in Lithuania in the old Soviet archives. Um, and we really found some some golden treasures. You know, they they used to have these you know, like propaganda reels that they would play out there. It was almost like newsreels that they would play before films. Mm-hmm. And they would they would feature like a famous factory, or they would feature, you know, a factory worker who had won the prize, you know, for the most output. And they would feature, you know, a farm worker, and 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 they would, or they would feature an athlete or someone who was furthering, you know, the cause of the Soviet Union. And we found a couple with with our guys, you know, and, and basically some of those were just so interesting and they were so awkward. They were you know, they put these guys kind of as the face of the Soviet sports machine as, as you described. Um and they were almost like these scripted little propaganda reels that would play before before film. So those were fascinating. But of course then all the game footage and yeah. and um there was a lot of photography that um from photographers who were embedded with some of the teams. Um and those were some of my favorite because they were really like lifestyle photos that that showed, you know, how how things were behind the Iron Curtain. I think it kind of opened a window to a world that a lot of us in the West had not seen. Um, so I really thought those were, were special. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was quite a, a challenge to, to dig up all that material.
0: Well, and it's terrific in the film as well. Uh, as the archival footage, you've got footage of uh, these players today talk reflecting back on that period of time. Um, and it's just beautiful. And uh, th- these were uh, uh, remarkable athletes. Uh, and as you said, and um, I don't know that a lot of Americans would have assumed, uh, even back in '88 and, and '92, uh, that that Lithuania had such a love of basketball. I guess we learned over the period of time when they were such a great team that they obviously had a tradition of basketball. But what what was just out of curiosity, and it's in the film, but what brought this? love of basketball to the people of lithuania tell us a little bit about that story
1: yeah well we 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 cover it a bit in the film it's really a fascinating history and and that was one of my kind of goals uh in making the film was to to uncover that because it was you know interesting to me Uh, lithuania as far as, as i can tell my producing partner and I, john weinbach have debated a lot Um, And we pretty much agree that Lithuania is the only country in the world where basketball is 100% for sure the number one sport. Mm -hmm. And you would think, you know, you'd think there would be others, but when you really think about it, you know, soccer obviously is the most prevalent in 95% of the countries around the world. In the United States, you know, I mean, baseball was the quote-unquote national pastime, and now football, you know, is pretty much Mm -hmm. in terms of viewership. Uh, basketball is obviously you know right up there, very very popular, but um, there's really no other country like this so we we dug back and and basically it goes back to the 1930s uh, There was an American Lithuanian from l a who who had Lithuanian roots named Frank Lubin and he went back to Lithuania to, to teach basketball um, he played on the, he taught and then played on the national teams in nineteen thirty seven and thirty nine and they won back to back European championships um <laughs> And then the war started, and so this love of basketball was just caught fire and became so popular, but then the war started, and just everything froze in time as far as Lithuania playing for their own yeah. team and you know, for their own country. But, um, and then, of course, the Soviet Union tried to squash all kind of cultural aspects, you know, language, religion, you know, folk traditions, singing dancing, but they really didn't, weren't able to, to squash basketball. In fact, they they encouraged sport, you know, they, they, in fact, they wanted to use essentially the athletes, you know, to play for the Soviet Union for the glory of the Soviet Union. So um, basketball really kept going and it really was like a source of, of, of pride and, and and inspiration during the most difficult times, you know, during the the Cold War and and when a lot of people had been sent to Siberia, uh, basketball really, you know, helped people in Lithuania to, to, as kind of a, a coping mechanism and something that they felt like was still their own. And so, um, you know, it, it really does and then and then all the way through the nineteen eighties, um, there was an inter Soviet pro league where a, a small Lithuanian team was had a huge rivalry with the Moscow team and that, that was an integral part of sort of the first kind of feistiness and, and, and rebelliousness of Lithuania and believing that they could they could uh, you know step up against this bigger Power yeah so basketball really was you know not only a popular sport but it's always sort of been intertwined in in their you know, you know political movement in and, and in the eighties and nineties their independence movement even
0: it's an ama- it's really amazing uh, by the way, I want to remind our listeners that we're speaking with the filmmaker Marius. Marco uh, the uh, director of The Other Dream Team. It's a documentary that opens today. It's uh, September 28th, and it'll open at the Landmark Theater here in Los Angeles. This is right off Pico Boulevard. Check it out. It's a beautiful theater, beautiful place to see a film. Uh, are you going to be around uh, for any of the screenings, or are you in, in town? I don't even know. Um...
1: I will be, yeah. I'm, okay. I'm actually in New York right now because uh, we're premiering here as well okay. tonight. I'm going to be at the Sunshine Theater on Houston Street. So any of of you guys in L.A., if you have friends in New York, please let them know. I'm going to do Q&A's out here at at the 7 p.m. show and then introduce the 9.45 p.m. show. And then I'm flying back early tomorrow A Big Homecoming because, you know, it's all my friends and family. And and my producer, also John Weinbach, his friends and family, everyone's going to be at the theater at the Landmark tomorrow. And we're doing Q&A's. Um, after the seven thirty show and uh, ten p.m. show, so very good. Um, you know, definitely come out and there's show there's there's screenings. You know, all all day today and tomorrow and and throughout the week
0: throughout the week. And by the way, we're streaming online, um, and so people do listen all over. Who knows all over? So if you're listening in New York, uh, right. just as you said, the Sunshine Theater is that what I heard you say um, in? New yeah,
1: York? Sunshine Theater on uh, on Houston Street in New York.
0: Fantastic, and then tomorrow here in Los Angeles at the at the landmark on on Pico, uh, seven thirty and ten p.m. showing. You'll do a Q and A, and uh just uh, in, uh, great. That's great to hear, and glad you'll be able to make it out back out to Los Angeles for that as well. Well, um, I think we probably I probably should have done this beginning top of this uh, uh, interviewed for people just out there who may not know where Lithuania literally don't know where it is. Let's explain a, a little. It's on the, the Balkan. It's called one of the Balkan states, essentially, is what we refer to it as. Baltic. Baltic. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My bad. I meant to say Baltic. Baltic. Yes. Yeah. Well, nope. Thank you. Thank you. That's no, a different it's, it's Balkan. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a whole one other... of the three Baltic
1: states, <laughs> yeah, um, along right. with Latvia and Estonia. Yes. Which are, it's kind of, in, you know, north, it's Eastern Europe, north, um, like north of Poland, um, just east of, uh, across the Baltic Sea from, from Sweden and, like, Denmark.
0: Right. Right. And it had and it was for a period of well, a period going back to the invasion of the the Nazis in, in World War Two, so thirty nine forty uh invasion, uh brutal, awful, ugly uh period of history for everyone involved in, in that part of the world. And then the Soviets when yep. they took the country back over, it was in forty two or forty three. I'm not exactly sure when the Soviets moved back into uh, take over, um... 1940. 40. Oh, it was 40. Okay. And then, of course, for the next, uh, well, 50 years, uh, essentially living under, uh, the iron boot of the Soviets. And ob- obviously this history, and as you said, as we've just been talking about, um, the basketball team really was a symbol of, uh, or this sport was a symbol of their being able to assert their cultural and, and somewhat political Influence uh, under the Soviet rule, and obviously, just just uh, not only is this a, uh, an interesting film about um, the history of Lithuania, the progression of the political system, and the collapse of the Soviets, but also w- w- really intimate portrayal of the of the men involved with the Soviet uh, with the Lithuanian team. Tell us a little bit about uh, Arbinus Sirbonis and uh, Serana, um Marcelonis, some of the other players involved. That if you're a fan of the NBA, you know some of these people's names. They played here for eight, ten years. Uh, just terrific players. Tell us a little bit about them as players and as people.
1: Yeah, they, um, you know, they're they're really a great group of guys. They all they all kind of had very different per- personalities and skill sets, and um, they were you know they were heroes of mine growing up. Like I said, I grew up really you know. Watching the Lakers and and Magic Johnson and Kareem in L.A., but I I watched these guys from afar and within our group of Lithuanians in our community and, and you know in America these were the heroes and and you know they and they still are in Lithuania they're you know revered so much it's hard to even describe I mean you know here it would be as if compared to like Michael Jordan is if if we didn't have any other sports that we watched yeah, you know because yeah. Lithuania doesn't really have any other sports that they're, I mean, they play soccer and they play a lot of sports, but, yeah. um, you know, it's far and away the number one sport, um, so so they're they're really heroes out there, and yeah, and their contributions, I mean, you know, they, they lived unbelievable lives, I mean, they had to fight and scrape, and, you know, when they were living behind the Iron Curtain, they were earning basically $100 a month, even after they had won the gold medal, um, which is the same salary that, you know, a factory worker would have earned, yeah. or a... Uh, You know, a farm worker, I mean, under that system, you know, everything, everyone was paid the same no matter what. So it's just a completely different lifestyle, and we explore that in the film, you know, comparing, you know, the rise of the NBA in the mid-'80s and Nike and Michael Jordan and Converse and all the, like, contracts and money, and these guys had been drafted and were unable, were disallowed and not allowed to come to the NBA. So they were stuck over there and really, you know, losing out on, on... Riches and fortunes and and all of that, and so um, it's was really you know interesting history and circumstances. And they had to do in our in our film. You'll see there's a segment that we talked about that and what these guys had to do. Yeah. And they often on their travels they would to supplement their income they would do some uh, smuggling of of things like blue jeans and VCRs and <laughs> and caviar and and just all kinds of you know like rec, Michael Jackson records and and you know it comes across as kind of funny in the movie, yeah. um, and kind of irreverent. But you know, at the time, you know, the guy in the film says, "You know, we did what life dictated, and yeah. and they had to, you know, to earn a little extra money for their families, you know, beyond the, the stipend of a hundred dollars a month. Yeah. They had to do what they had to do, um, and you can just imagine how different of a lifestyle that was from the MDA guys that <laughs> it's, um, it's were a... their counterparts in the West,
0: Maurice. And also, it's it's terrific to see." The, the the players who were able to sign these contracts and to see the you know their families you talk to their parents and, and the effect that it, the impact it had for these people just a vindication really I look at these NBA contracts as uh, that they were able to get there's vindication of all of the things they'd worked so hard for and the opportunity that had been presented by virtue of the fact they were living now in a free country and were able to come to the United States and negotiate and become the great players. Uh, um, Arvinus uh, was eventually uh, selected to the uh, Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, Marcelonis had a terrific uh, career with the Golden State Warriors and uh, the Supersonics, and just a, uh, great players. And it was so good. And obviously, I felt bad for Sorbonis, uh so much because he was a bit past his athletic prime. He was still a great player, but it was unfortunate he lost so much time, wasn't able to really show the NBA and, and, and NBA fans, what a great player he was. I'd heard about him years ago in this great center and only, well, you know, from international competition. Um, but it's, it was just really heartwarming. And, it's a, and that's the other side of this film that's just so wonderfully done is it brings all the the elements uh, of the, the humanity of all of these people and this amazing historic story uh, about what happened to the Lithuanian people but I, the icing on the cake, and I really gives it so much of what the, the uh, you know of the film is in, it gives it this lightness, if you will, is the involvement of the Grateful Dead. We've just got a couple of minutes. I wanted to at least touch on uh, that a little bit before we, we have to say goodbye. Um, tell us a little about how they got involved and what happened in that.
1: Yeah, well, the Grateful Dead um, were big basketball fans in the Bay Area, and sure as had come to the Golden State Warriors, um, in 1989, and and played there a couple years, and and, and in the interim period, of Lithuania got its independence, and Shrunas, uh started trying to raise money. You know, the country was basically broke at the time of their independence, and they needed help and support. And the Grateful Dead heard of, heard of his plight, and basically, um, you know, Jerry Garcia was a big fan and said he wanted to help out. That Lithuania was all about freedom, and and that they were all about freedom, and and basically, they wrote him a, a check, a nice donation, and then they. Also helped create uh, tie-dye these tie-dye shirts with uh, a design by an artist named Greg Spires um, that that became like their their kind of it had a dunking skeleton character and yes. these these tie-dye shirts these guys those yeah. painting guys wore to Barcelona and, and wore them everywhere they wore them to the press conferences to warm ups to the Olympic Village and yes. they became known as as like Team Tie-dye and. <laughs> Grateful Dead, Freedom Team, and and all these great monikers, and it was really just a, you know, symbolic of the time, and and they really looked like just a ragtag, bunch of hippies more than a basketball team, mm-hmm. really, which was funny, and it was, and it was just great because it was a stark comparison to the the U.S. team, which, you know, as they were clearly the best team on the court ever, um, but you know there was something very commercialized about U.S. Dream Team, and. You know, Nike and Reebok were fighting about whose warmups they were going to wear, and, and all that type of thing. And these guys really were just out there with a much more free and independent spirit. And they, you know, they didn't win the gold; they won a the bronze. But you know, to them, just getting the journey to Barcelona was was gold in itself. And and being there and being there, waving their own flag and and their own colors, and um, that was you know that was a victory for them. And then the bronze, and they where they beat. Essentially the Russian team was, you know, icing on the cake. So it was a really you know, special special connection with the the Grateful Dead. And we have six songs from the Grateful Dead in the in the film. They were very generous um helping us out and, and um so really proud to have their their involvement and in their music which really gives a lot of life to the to the film.
0: It is just such a like I said it's it's the icing on on what is a uh, terrific cake already uh, and it uh, it it just it's I, I urge people to run out and see this film uh it uh, it's it's a terrific documentary on a lot of levels and um so for everyone in uh, listening over the all around the country especially New York you can you can catch up with uh, Marius uh, Barkovicius uh at the uh, Sunshine Theater tonight uh, and then here in Los Angeles, the landmark tomorrow night, 7.30 and 10 o'clock, screenings of the other Dream Team. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I'm sorry. I'm in my hotel room, and there's like a hammering. there's a, The next door room is under construction. No, oh, ever,
0: I couldn't hear it at in
1: all. In fact, I've never heard of, <laughs> of a, a hotel room with like... Construction. construction literally in the room next door so well, well honestly no
0: no not at all okay. I don't have to apologize i i didn't i don't think i couldn't hear it so i'm uh but okay, uh, good. i I'm, good. yeah but hopefully hopefully uh, i'll be able to get up to to see you tomorrow night at the landmark i'd i'd love to meet you and the producer and, oh that'd be fantastic yeah well thank great you great thank great you. you thank you for your help on the on the pronunciation of all of the uh the people involved with the dream <laughs> the other dream team yeah uh, well. marius uh Marko yeah, uh, thank you. No
1: problem, no problem. I appreciate, I appreciate being on your show.
0: Thank you. Take care of yourself, and I'll see you soon. All right. All, right. All right, thanks. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar.